Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. This is Andrea Schwartz with another edition of the Out of the Question podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Charles Roberts. Hello, Charles. Hello, Andrea. So today we are bringing in a third person to our discussion, and the question that we're going to deal with is, how does God's law apply to creating a successful business? Now, that's a pretty straightforward question. Wouldn't you agree, Charles? Yes, it is. And, uh, of course, there are many types of business, and some are successful and some aren't, but I think the question that we want to eventually get to and the question behind that question is that can there really be any truly successful business with or success generally without the application of God's law? And we have, in this instance, a very special guest who I think will be able to speak to those issues uh, in, a, in a powerful way. And uh, Andrea, if you would introduce him, that would be great. Absolutely. Jeremy Walker is with us. Jeremy lives in Florida and he is affiliated with very successful Grace Community Schools. And you're going to discover, as we interact with Jeremy, that the foundation of his business, the, the business that his family is affiliated with, was deliberately and distinctively set up to further the kingdom of God. So, Jeremy, give us a brief bio of who you are, and we'll go from there. Well, sounds great. I'm glad to be here again. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm a reverend here in Benita Springs, Florida, which is uh, southwest Florida here in the Naples area. I've been in this area since 1999. I'm married to my wife, Abigail. We have 11 children. We run a, a family-run Christian preschool, one of the Grace Community Schools. There's nine locations here. Originally started in 1986 by Dr. Ellsworth McIntyre, and I help supervise all nine locations as well. So day-to-day operations, that kind of thing. And uh, we also help run our apprenticeship program where we train other people to run schools like we do here as well. So I mentioned at the outset that when these were formed, that it wasn't they were formed and then somebody said, wow, we should probably apply the Bible to this. Tell us a little bit about Dr. McIntyre and what he was thinking when he actually started this enterprise. Yeah, Christian education is a very important topic, which Chalcedon, of course, is heavily involved in, and uh, Grace Community School has been involved in since the beginning. So when it started, uh, the question was, is how, how are we supposed to educate? And of course, God's law, the commandments, Christian education is the basis for true education. Uh, I think it's Rustuni and Blumenfeld who use the phrases miseducation when anything is not based on God's law and the Bible. But that is the basis for the schools themselves, to be distinctly Christian, uh, to come in and have a Christian education, as particularly starting with the youngest of children from infants all the way up through age 12 is the starting point. But that is the idea, to start at the base uh, and also to help the most vulnerable. I know we'll get to this in a minute, most likely. Women and children, in particular, the most vulnerable in our society. And we talk about Christian charity a lot. And the need for Christians to to help those people in need the most. And we've discussed the concept of widows and orphans before and the other talk we had. 
during the Chalcedon presentation, and I know we're going to put a link to that after this, but that is kind of the basis of the concept, to have a distinctly Christian education and to be an impact to our local community. Charles, as a minister, you probably are used to people thinking that all ministry work either has to be in the church or volunteer. Is that your experience is how people look at serving the kingdom of God, that they have to do it in that very narrow window? Yes, and unfortunately, this um, is a step away from, if not a betrayal, of one of the great things that was given to us in the Protestant Reformation and the recognition that every calling in life can be a godly calling if we are doing it to God's glory and in fulfillment of what he calls us to do. And God calls us to be successful in following him and obeying his word. You know, we may have our ups and downs and our successes and failures from a human standpoint, but God's plan for us is victory uh, in the ultimate sense. So absolutely, serving God uh, in all areas of life uh, is an important thing, but especially this area of education is a very significant one. And uh, I would just like to ask Jeremy, I believe you said that your model starts with the the youngest uh, children, the youngest age group. So would this be something equivalent to what most people would understand as daycare? Uh, most certainly, of course. Uh, we The original name for Grace Community School was Grace Community Daycare and School. And we kind of changed the name slightly to just, it just for the most part, it's called Grace Community School now. But uh, the concept that it starts at the daycare and or preschool level is the focus of uh, the ministry we have here. So uh, when you have folks who come to your schools for whatever particular age group, uh, whether it be daycare or or higher level uh, grade levels, what percentage would you say come and say, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that you folks taught the Bible here or whatever. I'll just go find some other place. Well, we have quite a few people. Our schools, unlike the vast majority of Christian schools when I was growing up, and I think probably the present, um, have kind of, they think that the Christian school is only for Christians. So this is where all the Christians go or all the church members go. And that's not the kind of setup we have. We have more of an evangelical setup. So anyone in the community that wants to come to our school, bring their child, can receive a Christian education. And as we said before, Christian childcare. So a person can bring their children to us with the safety of knowing that we are going to take care of their child the proper way. So yeah, that is uh, the, the concept of which we have here for what we're doing, uh, the idea that these young children are important to us, and uh, that's kind of what our focus is going to be. Now, I know that uh, Dr. Rush Dooney makes a differentiation in his book, The Philosophy of the Christian Curriculum, the difference between preaching and teaching, that they're not the same thing. And so my recollection of how he described it is that when you're in a teaching capacity, you don't try to convince someone that stealing is a bad idea. You teach that stealing is contrary to God's law. Is that the orientation you bring, Jeremy, in the schools that say, we're not going to try to convince the parents who say, well, we're not anything. We just want our kids to be taught. You don't say, well, then that's okay. We're going to accommodate how we teach your child according to what you believe. You make it pretty clear we're going to teach your child according to what we believe. Well, correct. And that's what the open door is all about. We, because we are, are open to the community, uh, people from all walks of life and faith or no faiths uh, do come to our facilities. 
But when they come, they know, like you said, very distinctly, we are a Christian organization and we're going to give their children a Christian education. But we've never had any people who come to us and say, well, don't teach my kid that. We've had a few people who were kind of standoffish at first because the typical normal evangelical church group, they have one thing in mind. And their number one thing in mind is to get somebody to come to their church and become a tither to their church. For us, our outlook is different. Uh, We are there to meet the needs of the parents and the children. Uh, We're there for Christian education. If they, like you said, if the parents themselves decide that they're going to listen to what we're doing or not, it's not something we're going to try to beat them over the head with. But if they are going to bring their children to a Christian daycare slash preschool and school, then we're going to gladly bring them in and gladly give their children a Christian education. And I think that our question behind the question that Charles brought up about what does it mean to be successful, what I love about the model of Grace Schools is that you don't say, please excuse the fact that we are oriented in our life from a biblical world and life view. You put it out there and people have the option to take it or leave it. When so many people approach how they're going to share the faith, instead of having people see that their lives need need to fit into a biblical world and life view, what a lot of people do is they try to take the Bible and fit it into people's already existing lives. And I think one of the reasons that your businesses are a success, and just so people understand, you don't give away your services, you charge for your services. And in the process, God has not only blessed your enterprise, but allowed you to expand it and include more people. Well, that's a very interesting point that you make because we do get that a lot. And we do charge for our services. We have the lowest child care rates in all of Southwest Florida. We advertise heavily, probably 10 times as much as anyone else in our entire area does. We have the best services and uh, the best staff and the best programs and curriculums out of anywhere else. And also the most committed staff, the normal child care provider at best, the director might last five years. And all of ours, of course, like myself, been doing this for 19 years. But it's not just the idea that we charge for our services, which we do, but we also provide free child care for probably close to one quarter of the children that come to our facility. Uh, there's done a couple of different ways. One way is that people who work at our facility, like our staff, if they have children, they can bring their children for free. So there's quite a number of women who are employed by our facilities who to get free child care themselves. And uh, so that's one way. The second way is that our church, Nicene Covenant Church here in Naples, uh, also provides via the tithe of our church. The tithe money, like for myself and from everyone else, doesn't go into the church itself per se, but it goes into the funding of Christian education to provide scholarships to needy families, people that are having troubles, broken families and otherwise. And so we have a financial aid program which parents can come and submit to the church, um, paperwork and whatnot, and can get either free or reduced child care to come to our facilities as well. So we're also uh, providing free education, financial aid, and quite a bit of it to the number, around 2,000 students we have. Jeremy, let me ask a question about, uh, I guess, what I'll hopefully characterize as the, uh, the, the previously, to this point, unmentioned elephant in the room here. And that, of course, is the state. Now, just about everywhere, the state is involved, if not domineering, in the whole process of education. I'm just wondering how 
your schools have dealt with that issue in the, say in terms of curriculum and other sort of things that the state mandates in the government schools? Well, yes, you can't get away from that, especially in the field of education. Uh, the state sees itself as being, we understand this from resting and whatnot, uh, the parent basically. And so they're in charge of the education of children. That's the way they view themselves. And so anybody who runs a school kind of like us, you do have to have the approval of the state and you do have to meet standards uh, here in Florida, and each state can vary depending on which state you're in, but you have to be one of two things here in the state of Florida. One, a school or center has to be licensed by the state, to strict uh, state license, or two, you have to have accreditation, which, of course, the accreditation company uh, has permission from the state to give accreditation to the schools like ourselves, and we do have accreditation. Uh, we're not strictly state licensed. Uh, there's a whole lot that goes into strict state license, much like the fact that you can't actually teach the Bible. Um, that's a whole other can of worms. But people that are accredited, like ourselves, uh, are free to do that. Um, and in fact, that's why there's this, this little room, this wiggle room, which the state has allowed for us to do. And so you can, especially in the state of Florida that I'm very familiar with, operate a school um, that's distinctly Christian, uh, even in an environment where the state is always trying to overreach. Let me share with you all a story um, that I'm personally familiar with. Uh, and Jeremy, I'd be interested in your thoughts or reaction to this. I was a pastor in the upstate New York area, and that's a broad area. I'm being specifically vague. For 18 years, and uh, there was a man and his family who were members of the church where I was pastor. Uh, and he was, for a number of years, the headmaster of a Christian school that was attached to a church, not unlike uh, the Nicene Covenant Church, very similar in theology and outlook. And he um, inherited that job of headmaster of this school from someone else, I believe. And so um, he was telling me that on the first week or so of his job, he was sitting in his desk. Uh, I may have the details of the story a little bit fuzzy, but it's essentially this. There was a, a room off to the side or a desk off to the side of his, something like that. And he was asking the secretary, well, who's, whose desk is that? And she said, oh, well, that's the, uh, that's the nurse. That's where she sits. He said, nurse, what are you talking about? She said, oh, yes, we have to have a nurse here. And so uh, it wasn't long thereafter the, the, quote, nurse came in and sat down. And uh, so he said, I happen to know someone who um, knew all about New York State education requirements and all that sort of thing. So he made a phone call, and uh, he found out and learned that uh, having a, a nurse to, in this case, give out vaccinations was purely voluntary on the part of the school. It wasn't absolutely required or mandated. So uh, he went back to the nice lady and suggested that she might go find another school <laughs> because he didn't want her there. You know, that that's an example of the sort of thing that, uh, you know, becomes an issue in, in some cases. Uh, you have any thoughts about that story? Well, a lot of schools, if you're going to be a Christian business person, uh, you're supposed to be the best one there is. And so if you're in education, you should be the best teacher that there is. If you're the best manager, you should be the best manager there is. You're supposed to be salt and light to the world. You're supposed to be an example of what people are supposed to aspire to, and you're supposed to be a witness to what, what God's law does in society. And so as a business person, no matter what your business is, if you're running a grocery store or a child care facility, no matter what it is, you're supposed to be the best at what you do. And so the description you gave is a businessman or somebody who's a director uh, seeing something that was unnecessary and it's waste uh, to a facility. And a lot of times what you'll find is whenever it's not uh, personal, and this is why we um, 
our model is more of a, a family-run Christian school model rather than a church-run or board-run type school because whenever it's not personal, uh, people tend to uh, bloat or inflate. Um, the costs aren't as important to them. They are more worried about getting their friends' jobs and that kind of stuff. But when it's personal, uh, if you're going to do a good job as a business person, that's part of the job. Your job is to see what is necessary to be productive, what's necessary to fulfill the function that I need. How many staff members do I absolutely have to have or need uh, to make my school better? And so I think that what the man did there is exactly what I would do. If he's a good director or administrator, he's going to, as I like to call it, cut the fat. You're going to get rid of loss. And you talked about earlier the concept that people are in donations-based or, uh, or otherwise. But the idea is that they, they, in Christian communities, um, somehow making money or being focused on that isn't really something that they like to focus on. But everybody has to have a job. Everybody has to have money. In fact, it's part of the Christian's duty to provide for their own. And if they don't, they're worse than an infidel. So you have to have money to do that. So if you're going to have to have money, then you should be the best business person there is and make the most money. That would include, in this case, not having excess expenses. So I think that the man in the story did a very good job, and that's the Christian administrator's job and businessman. You mentioned that the model is more family-based than just profit-based, although you can't eliminate profit. From a biblical world and life view, not only do you have to provide for your own, but there's the requirements of the tithe and exercising Christian charity. And obviously, since the tithe, all of the tithes, there's more than one, as we all know, but the the tithes have to come as a percentage of what it is you have as income. So if you try to make it that to be truly Christian, you never have a profit, well then, in which case, you'll never tithe. That's definitely the problem, is that people, there are a lot of uh, organizations out there, and that's kind of the issue with most people is that someone has to make a profit. Uh, like you said, if they're going to have a tithe, somebody had to make a profit somewhere. Somebody had to do a good job in the business world and making money so that they could, as you just mentioned, uh, produce a tithe that would be used for charity and other purposes. You said family business. Well, you mentioned at the outset that you have 11, and I happen to know that you have your 12th on the way and that your wife works with you in the schools. Now, most people would say, having 11 children, how on earth can your wife actually work with you at the school? What happens to the children? What do you do with the children? Would you explain a little bit about how your model actually facilitates your family as opposed to hinders it? Oh, most certainly. It's a, it's a wonderful model uh, because, as you said, we do get to work side by side, my wife and I, and I think that's absolutely the best thing on the planet to be able to work with your spouse all day long. Our children, while they're young, um, they're actually in our facility, and our facility goes up through officially kindergarten in our building and also has after-school programs and that stuff all the way through age 12. And so when they're young, they're actually like any normal student that's in the facility, They're in the classrooms with uh, the other students, with the other children, with their teachers, doing the normal stuff that we'd normally do throughout the day. Now, as they get older, of course, and they move out of the classrooms, let's say into first grade, uh, at that point, it's more of a a hands-on homeschooling type thing where my wife and I actually are with our kids. Uh, They're at the school, and we actually do their education there at the school while also operating the school as well. Uh, Kind of a juggling act, but 
it works very simply. Uh, it's very natural and it's very easy um, to do as well. And beyond that, the kids also get to learn a business skills. So they're not just doing all the book stuff, but the kids are actually learning how to actually run a business as well. They're watching us, seeing us, they're listening to us talk. They do get small jobs like how you would give uh, children chores around the house. Well, we give the children chores around the school as they're younger. So they get to participate. Uh, a good example of that is now my daughter is now 13. And uh, she's actually, when she's not done with her doing her schoolwork, she's helping my wife on the desk. She can answer the phone. She can take visitor calls. She can close out, take money, write receipts. Uh, basically, what a normal adult, what we would consider to be a secretary, could do, she's doing it 13 years old with no problem whatsoever. Uh, my son, I've got a couple of sons, of course, the older ones. Uh, one of my sons is now 16, so he's now officially working in the classroom. Um, he, of course, is one of the younger ones who's assisting in the classroom. But now he's learning classroom skills. So he's actually in the classroom as a teacher, assistant teacher, and helping them there and teaching Bible as well. So even at the age of 16, we're starting to have him teach Bible. So our way we do Bible at our school, we teach Bible twice a day. And so he's also doing that as well. So our school facilitates all those kinds of concepts, and it's a very natural thing. And they also get business skills. So by the time they're 17, 18, 19 years old, um, they will know how to run a business. And so it's, um, it's quite the program. Now, some people would tell you working with your husband or working with your wife all day, I don't think I could handle it. But that's more of a product of a fractured society than a biblical model. Well, I definitely think so. I, I, I get enjoyment out of working with my wife. Uh, we all know how husbands and wives are, and they're two sides of the same coin. And, um, and there is always uh, the, the pluses and there's always some minuses because you know, you're, you're two fallen people. But whenever you have your, your spouse working with you, especially in our business, my wife and I uh, work side by side because she handles certain aspects of the, the business and I handle the other side of things. And so together, the school is Miss Abby and Reverend Jeremy's school. We have kids who, and I've said this before on some of the stuff we do, um, it's not like VBS, you know, Vacation Bible School. It's not like soul winning or seeing somebody at church. These kids, quite a few of them, will actually be with us for over 10 years. That's a long time to see somebody day in and day out. They see us as a, a married couple, Christian family. They, one time, just a side note, funny story, we had taken our kids to Chuck E. Cheese, which is a local place you can take kids, like an arcade type thing here in Southwest Florida. And we ran into some of these kids that were part of our school. And all of a sudden, we found out that we didn't have 11 kids. We now had 13 kids because two of them decided they were going to just join our group and followed us around the whole time um, wherever we were at. But it happens all the time because they feel like they're, they're part of our family. And I mentioned this before because you said families are fractured, and that's very true. I, I like to view our schools as places where kids can go away from the world. They get to see what a Christian family looks like. They get to see what God's law looks like governing in a very small sphere um, society. Because inside the walls of our school, God's commandments are the governing product, how we interact with the kids, how we interact with the teachers, the parents, all of it. And all that's governed by God's law. And so it's something the kids don't ever get to see. So when they walk in our doors, it's something that makes a very big impact for them. And they come back years and years later, and there's one thing they expect to see, and they do. They expect to see us still there, and, and they do. Jeremy, um since your doors are open to any and all who uh, may want to 
have their kids educated there at your schools. Certainly one of the things that I suspect that you have to deal with uh, for people, even among uh, people who would self-identify as Christians of one sort or another, uh, is the idea of athletics and um, sports. And I know in some Christian schools and uh, others, this becomes a, a big ticket issue. Some people, that, that's the main thing they're interested in for little Sally or little Johnny is to be able to play football or soccer or volleyball or whatever uh, in, in terms of uh, interleague or interschool play. Uh, how, how do you address that, that when it comes up? That's a good question because all parents have different criteria, a different standard that they're looking for. It doesn't matter what it is. And as they get older, athletics is one of those concepts. Now, our school actually does have programs like karate programs, dance programs, art, music. We provide additional classes for children all the way up through age 12 at our facility. So we do some of that already. We do incorporate those. Those are additional costs. We bring a a person from the community, like a karate instructor or a dance instructor, into the facility and provide these classes uh, at a cost like $10 per class per week uh, for the parents if they would like to participate. So in some ways, and we were mentioning earlier, the Christian businessman, if he's going to keep customers, he would think about, uh, can I provide this uh, to my customer? Does my customer want this? And if it's something that he can provide, uh, it makes sense. Uh, It's going to be able to be something he can pull off then it's something he should definitely think about doing if it's something he could actually you know, pull off and produce for his customers because the Christian business produces the best product and makes the happiest of their customers because they're meeting a need that the customer wants. Now, you can't meet all needs and you can't make every person happy. There are limitations to every business. So the school really has to sit down and say, what is it we're about? What is it that we actually provide? And you have to understand you will not appeal to every single person. It's not possible. So you have to shoot for your demographic, meaning the type of parent that you want. Uh, You're producing the product that a certain uh, group of people that they want. And other ones that uh, want something different, then they're not going to choose your facility. But you can't can't produce any business that will appeal to everybody. So you do have to kind of say, what is my business about? What is my school about? And then go with that. And what I like that you've done is you've recognized a need and you've recognized a need not only culturally that there are probably a lot of single moms who have to work or two-family households where whether it's bad decisions in the past of getting heavily into debt or anything like that. So you're, you're satisfying a need. But too many people think that somehow or other you're going to be prohibited from being who you are as you satisfy that need. And this gets us back to The success that we should want is the success that comes from the blessings of God. Can you share a little bit about how, in the face of potential threats, God has been faithful to Grace Community Schools in making sure you continue? Well, yeah, there's many things that you do, and we mentioned as well, um, some people view the idea of God's providence and God's protections as some kind of a supernatural force that just kind of hangs over a person. Uh, But really, the vast majority of God's protections are built into his word already. In other words, his law. Whenever you have in the book of Proverbs, which is absolutely covered in practical explanations of that you should do this and not do that, this is God's guidance and wisdom of how to act. And so you can't view anything as providential as meaning that I can't do bad things and expect God just to come down and swoop down and save me. 
So if we want to have God's blessing, then we first need to start by, by knowing what he wants us to do and doing that. And in business, you should know how God wants you to treat your customers, uh, how God wants you to, to interact with other people like a government official, if it's a police officer or otherwise. And the sad part is, is you see in the Christian community, a sad uh, disrespect for authorities. Now, it doesn't mean we always agree with everything the authorities do, but you can't deny the fact that they are the authorities. So you have to do things that are lawful within the climate that you find yourself. So one of the biggest successes that we have uh, for Grace Community School is that fact right there. One, we base our business practices based off of God's law and how he would tell us to act towards people, towards customers, uh, towards staff and employees, uh, towards our own families and our responsibilities to the community, uh, to the authorities that are around us. In other words, uh, you wouldn't try to open up a school and not try to either be licensed or accredited. Um, this is going contrary to the authorities that say you have to have one or the other, at least to run what we're talking about here, a Christian preschool. And so we follow the rules. And uh, when we follow the rules, when we obey the authorities that are there, within a certain limitation, of course, they're not asking us to violate God's law. So you can go down the road uh, to that point. As far as business practices and things like that, I would say those are the biggest things that keep people out of trouble. And God's providence is built into that. And um, you do have to say also God has supernatural protections as well, uh, clearly. But I would say the vast majority of the problems when people get into trouble is because they themselves are the source of those problems. And uh, they kind of want God to swoop down when they've been irresponsible in their business or otherwise and say, well, my business is failing. I need God to perform a miracle. Well, maybe, as Mr. Charles Roberts just did a few minutes ago, maybe you should have been a better administrator and your business wouldn't be failing. Uh, maybe you should have taken God's advice about how to treat your customers, what kind of product to produce, or how you should treat your authorities that are over you. Maybe if you did that, you wouldn't be now in the current position that you're in. So I do think that um, God's providence is always there, but the vast majority of it is, is linked to how we act on a daily basis and how we structure our business. So that's where I would start right there. Success starts by first uh, understanding God's authority and following God's law. Jeremy, let me ask you, uh, in terms of when your father-in-law started uh, the first school or schools, however many years ago it was, how, if, if at all, how has the model uh, or the, uh, the, the, or the basic principles for operating schools, how have they changed or developed over the years? Well, the schools themselves have developed quite a bit over the years. Uh, it's been 30-plus years now. And so you do have to, and we, we're talking about here best uh, business practices and, and things like that as well. And you have to be ready. As a good businessman, you have to be flexible if you're going to, going to succeed. And you produce a product whenever you need to change, you have to change. Uh, whenever you see a, a need, you have to change to do that too. So over the last 30 years, our schools have changed quite a bit. Um, it'd be kind of difficult for me to explain every area that it's changed in, but basically in how we present ourselves, the products that we produce, things like that. Like we've developed, of course, our preschool uh, curriculum. It's called College Can Begin at Two. Um, that's one of the things that we developed over the last 19 years when I was here. And we've developed that. And so our schools have changed a lot. The dance programs, music programs, karate programs, the reading programs have been integral since the beginning. So we are one of the only schools um, that produce uh, readers, children that read. In fact, on an institutional level, 
and Mr. Uh, Sam Blumenfeld talked about this all the time. We got to see it in practice. The educational facility as an institution as a whole is against children reading. I was actually in a, a meeting one time with a state instructor at a child care class, and they were telling us that uh, teaching children to read was inappropriate, ba basically using phonics, the phonic method. I remember asking the person, I said, well, how do you think children learn to read? This is somebody who's supposed to be teaching a class. And they said, children learn to read by looking at books. <laughs> and I just sat there dumbfounded. I'm like, and you're an instructor? I, I don't get it. But we have had to adapt and change ourselves over the years, um, lots of different ways. Uh, we've also developed and changed what our school physically looks like, classrooms, what's in them, our playgrounds in particular. You can go to our Facebook page, Grace Community Schools, on Facebook, and you can see our playgrounds are just absolutely fantastic. We have the best playgrounds in the in the entire community. Just amazing. But so we always are updating ourselves and always trying to to better the product uh, and always trying to give something more to the customer. And so those are some ways that we've developed. But other things like our Bible programs, our reading programs, a lot of our core products have not changed at all. Would you share a little bit at this point about not only your apprenticeship program and kind of talking about what that looks like, but your preschool in a box program that is relatively new? Yeah, the two programs kind of go hand in hand. The Preschool in a Box was an idea we developed close to about eight years ago and was in development for about eight years. Of course, over the last 30 years, the entire thing was put together, but only recently it started really getting packaged together, and I was the integral person that kind of helped put that together. Uh, inside, you can go to our website, uh, gcsapprenticeship.com. There's a tab that says Materials, and you can see Preschool in a Box right there, and at least soon also available to look at on the Calcine website, I believe, as well. But basically, it comes down to is we wanted to say, what does a person need to run a school? Kind of take away any apprehensions a person had. And so our preschool in a box basically has the operations manual, which is everything you need to learn or know about how to run a facility. That's teacher training, policies and programs, everything that's inside of it, 30 years of experience. Then you have the curriculum. That's all the games and activities, the learning programs, the reading programs, all that kind of stuff is in there. And so from top to bottom, um, it's everything a preschool needs. We are running nine successful preschools that are profitable on this program. So it's not like it's an idea. It's not like it's an infomercial. It's actually somebody going, we are running successful schools using these materials and we'll give them to you. And so basically we're just looking for people to get inspired and motivated and we're trying to equip them to do that. And that's kind of what our involvement is with Christian Reconstruction, we're saying we don't all have to sit around as Christians and keep reinventing the wheel. Let us help you and let's give you a 30-year advantage over the concept of, of education. Now, the apprenticeship program is part of that. Because we're so good at what we do, we actually bring people here who are able and desirable, and we will actually bring people, specifically young people in particular, here to our facilities. We give them free housing so that they have a place to live, we also give them free college, so bachelor's degrees, master's degrees. We also do hands-on training. And because, once again, like I said, we are very successful at what we do, um, the apprentices get to work with people who know exactly what they're doing and learn the trade. And so that's very invaluable right there. Our programs typically run one, two, or three years. Uh, we, really, we have the programs allowable uh, for people, but three years is really what a person needs because you have to get experience. And you can't rush it. Like a person can get the preschool in a box, of course, 
It is everything that we utilize here, but there's a difference between having the skill and being able to use those materials properly. So that's where the apprenticeship program comes in. Those people that can't apprentice or actually you know, take out three years of their life, um, we also have consultations for people as well. Basically, we'll help any way that we possibly can. We also invite people to come and visit. If you want to just come down and to see the program in action, you're saying, this seems too good to be true. And I've actually had many people tell that to me. Um, it's really not too good to be true. It's the fact that we are looking for people and just to help get into what we like to call Christian Reconstruction in the educational community. And we're going to do everything we can to help those people. So that's kind of a synopsis between preschool in a box and what the apprenticeship program is. So it seems to me that if there are families that have focused on giving their children a good Christian education in the homeschool, typically by the time much earlier than their counterparts in the culture, they're ready to work. Like you mentioned, your 13-year-old daughter and your 16-year-old son. At what age do you accept apprentices and would you think that this is a viable next step for the homeschool graduate? I definitely think it's a, a viable step for the homeschool graduate because it's going to be, uh, once again, that setting alone by itself. I mean, you're thinking, about, well, what should we do about calling? What should we do about college and higher education, vocation, all the things in between? And like I said, uh, you don't have to worry about where you're going to live because you get free housing. Uh, that's one of the things that we incorporate into our programs. That's covered. And the wild person's here, they actually can use all the money that they're not spending on that kind of expense and save it uh, for the future. And it's part of why we do what we do. They also get the college. They're not spending any money on a college degree. And we know, I'm sure you guys have probably talked about it before. I talk about it all the time. But college degrees themselves, the price is ridiculous. And uh, by the end of time you're done with it, now you have debt. And now you're trying to pay off that debt as you're trying to work at the same time. So you're avoiding, number one, cost of living. You're avoiding college debt, getting the degrees that in our society you have to have for certain uh, various things. And then, of course, on top of that, you're actually going to learn how to run a school successfully. People will actually tell you how to do it. So uh, the age that we start, uh, we a ha person has to be able to live on their own because we don't have anybody here who can, of course, uh, take possession of a child or responsibility for them. So 18 is the uh, minimum age that an apprentice can come work for us if they're on their own, kind of like I did when I was, uh, when I was 18 years old, I actually came myself here uh, as an apprentice years and years ago, back in, uh, was it 1998, 1999? Back then, I actually came as an apprentice originally back then. Uh, but So that's the minimum age for those people who are going to live on their own. They have to be uh, considered to be an adult and responsible for themselves while they're here. Uh, there are families, however, uh, who, if a family wanted to get into this type of thing, uh, we do have housing for families. And so the youngest age would be infant because the parents, of course, are the responsible parties for them. And as a family, uh, we have had many people who come to our programs and join as a family and they get to learn what we do and then they can go off and start their own school and run their own. So you've thought about all the possible permutations of how someone might do this and uh, we'll post it. But would you repeat again how people who might find this intriguing and saying this is something maybe we've been looking for, how would they contact you? There's a couple different ways. The first is via the website, which is gcsapprenticeship.com. You can also find us on Facebook at uh, GCS Apprenticeship as well. You'll find it there as well. Uh, you can also contact me. You can call me uh, on my phone at 239-234-2000. Uh, 
2799. It's a direct line to me if you'd like to talk to me. We also have email, which is gcsapprenticeship at gmail.com. I take emails as well. All that goes directly to me. And so I can help anybody with any kind of uh, questions that they have. Well, that's quite a lot of accessibility. I have one more question, and then, Charles, I'll turn it over to you. If you have any remaining questions, it's very easy when a family is doing things together to make what they're working on become consuming. How do you balance being Reverend Jeremy and Miss Abby and your children being at the school and then maintaining a separate family life that allows you to have some distance from the school and actually be mom and dad with your children? Well, that's a very uh, important question, and I think people do uh, mix that up, that, that concept of work slash family life. And um, a, a calling, a family calling, as I like to refer to it as, uh, is all-encompassing. So there is no, there's no division between the work side and the family life. They, they go hand-in-hand, hand, especially with a model like ours. Um, we talked about it before because my wife and I, we run a business very successfully, and it's about 11 and a half hours a day. We, I go to work at 6.30. We don't leave until 6 or 6.30 at night. But we're not away from our children. We are with them all day long. And then when we go home, we're also with them then too. Uh, we have a complete, uh, in Deuteronomy, I believe it is 6, where it talks about talking with your children all day, teaching them God's law. Uh, our program uh, gives the family structure better ability than anything else that I know of to do just that. So I don't think that there is a, a, a division here between those two. They go hand in hand. With them, and also the children don't see us as struggling like mommy and daddy are at work and they're you know given time away from us. They are also an integral part of the business itself, so um, they are actually they're important. What they do with us is important, and so I don't think there's any struggle between the two um, as a division because it is working together. The family works together, the family goes home together. It's an all-encompassing type of program. Thank you, Charles. Why don't you wrap us up? I'm sure you still have things you want to ask or add. Yeah, I would just like to, as a final question, ask um, if I remember the uh, presentation, Jeremy, that you made to the uh, meetup group of a few weeks ago. Uh, I think you mentioned that your schools are pretty much all located in southwest Florida. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct, yes. So if someone uh, shows up from Jacksonville or Pensacola or even Mobile or somewhere in the general geographic area, and says, you know, I like what you're doing here, and I want to replicate that. Is what you're doing sort of a franchise sort of thing, or people just simply can take your model and, and go with it how they want to? Yeah, it's a very good question. It's kind of the secret sauce question, uh, the secret recipes, and uh, we're trying to give those away. So right now, um, we don't have any secrets we don't want to give out. Uh, we're trying to give our, our – our information out there. We're trying to train people. We're trying to bring people. We're trying to find people. And so, yes, I would be ecstatic if uh, I could get a hold of people that would say, hey, man, I want to learn what you're doing. Can I replicate what you're doing? And I would say, yes, <laughs> tell me how I can help. But that's kind of the idea. We have helped and inspired other schools all around the country. Some of them who've actually taken the Grace Community name, uh, Grace Community School, I can think of in Mississippi and Alabama in particular. Uh, we had apprentices who were here who now moved off and they utilized our our name and our branding and this stuff, but they're not necessarily affiliated with us because that's not what we're about. We're not about building a franchise. Now we have uh, here our nine schools and our job is to run our schools we have here and to expand and very soon 
Uh, my children are getting older and we'll be expanding very quickly, um, more than nine locations very soon. But those people that would like to duplicate and replicate what we're doing, that's exactly what I'm trying to uh, inspire people to do. Jeremy, I, I just want to say I think this is one of the most uh, remarkable and exciting things that's uh, going on in the area of Christian Reconstruction and has been for, as you pointed out, 30 years. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Peter Hammond, has a, a program he calls Putting Feet to Your Faith, and uh, I think that's very much what you folks have been doing there, and uh, I am very, very thankful, as I know Andrea is, uh, for the testimony and the work that uh, you and your staff and your father-in-law have been about doing this this is a, a tremendously significant and important thing. We want to thank you for spending time with us today, and uh, we uh, hope to uh, put information uh, linking all the various things that you've mentioned um, for people who want to find out more. And we'd encourage our listeners to please look into this. Surely all of us know uh, if we don't have children ourselves at home who would benefit from this type of education, we have neighbors and friends who would. So, uh, Andrea, if you would uh, tell folks how they can get in touch with us. To get in touch with Charles and me, it's out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Please make use of the links that uh, Jeremy provided. There are some books that have been written over the years that sort of uh, not so much in an owner's manual or administration manual will tell you how to do it, but it'll give you a lot of the philosophy. And what excites me about this is that this whole idea, which can be applied across the boards to other areas as well, finding a need and satisfying it, is all about storming the gates of hell. This is not a retreatist point of view. This is a point of view of victory and how exciting that we can share fellowship and an outlook with people in various areas of serving the needs of people. And as a result, they'll see our good works and, of course, glorify our Father in heaven. So, Jeremy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.